Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Hi everyone, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The F1 season is nearly here. We're going to be talking about the car launches. We're going to ask what makes a good track and a good corner. And looking at some of the logistical challenges facing the F1 community. It's not just me, though. I am your host, Richard Spanners Ready, but I'm also joined by Matt Durumpitz. How's it going there, Matt? It is going remarkably well, considering everything else that's happening in the world. Yeah, we can at least look forward to some racing cars going around. And I'll tell you what, I was watching the 2007 Bahrain Grand Prix, and it really made me appreciate the levels of kind of broadcasting that we've got going on at the moment, because... Uh, you know, it was there was shaky cam. The the strategy and the information the commentators had just didn't give them the same information they have now, uh, and it was actually a little frustrating to watch given modern standards. So I think we've got a lot to be to be grateful for uh, for what we can see and what we can and what we can enjoy now with F one on telly. Indeed, and speaking of enjoying on telly, we also have the trailer for Drive to Survive that has finally dropped. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but we might. Well, you can talk about it now. Has it revved your interest? Are you interested in looking back at the 2020 season? Uh, To me, although I know the Drive to Survive stuff is done really well, from a personal point of view, I'm like someone who can't rewatch films or I don't like want to rewatch a series particularly unless I've forgotten enough of it. It feels like sometimes too soon to look back at the season, if you know what I mean. Like, show me the Drive to Survive from 2008 and I'd probably watch that. More no, readily. I see what you're saying. Mm. But uh, the thing that I like about it is they tell the story 
uh, from the point of view of the people involved. And you get lots of very cool shots in the garage and behind the scenes that you never, never get to see otherwise. Fine, you've convinced me. I'll tune in, but not before I remind you all that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We've got other people on the show, you know. One of them has an actual beard, but also glasses. Girls don't make passes at boys who wear glasses. Kyle Power, how's it going, buddy? Looking fly there. Very well, thank you very much. There is nothing wrong with glasses. They just—they add wisdom, if anything. I need glasses. I have poor vision, but I always wear contact lenses. I cannot imagine racing with glasses. And you do a lot of karting. Do you go karting with with glasses on? No, I just do it blind. Hence, I'm not very good no, during you... the night in 24 hour races. I'd probably be half decent if I could see where I was going. Is that? Okay, what part of that is a joke? Is that real? Do you just accept being short-sighted? I'm all right in the day. Just in the night time, it can get a bit funny. No, Kyle, you need to be able to see when racing. I'm very upset about this. I can see. The other carts are shapes. I can see shapes. It's fine. He races by feel. By, by, by vibrations. You sense the vibrations of the other carts is what I reckon. I just sense, yes. And uh, we've, got another, we've got another specky on the panel as well. We've got Chris Catman Turner, our quiz master. How's it going, Chris? Good. I uh, I wear these full framers, so you think I can get these inside a helmet? I race blind too, and that's why I'm slow. I don't have the uh, the same uh, same pace with I can't see. So that's why you're often facing the wrong direction. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that and lack of talent. All right, let's get on with the big dirty news. Big dirty news. I suppose it sort of defeats the point if I say big, dirty news and then I, I play the bumper. Well, you live and learn. We've been at this for a mere seven years, Matt. I'll, I'll get the hang of it. Well, I think it's good to let the audience have a little bit of uncertainty about what's going to happen next. Fair enough. Uh, OK, uh, well, we have had the car launches, so we can say for sure that we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the track changes as well. Uh, you're insisting that shipping is an interesting news item. So just I'm, I'm patronising you and I've included that. So no pressure there. Uh, and I think there's a couple of other topics as well. But let's start off with the car launches, guys. Uh, where's a good place to start? I mean, we can descend into what's your favourite colour? You know, do you like green? Do you like blue? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. I think, as I've said in the past, there's lots of different types of F1 fans. There's people like me who I just focus on the sport of it. I love the sport of it, Matt, and I like the competition element. But for a lot of people, it's about the glamour and it's about the, a lot of people, it's like the soap opera of it, which I enjoy the soap opera part as well. I'm less interested in things like, uh, oh, it's got to be, you know, it's got to split your eardrums and it's got to be the best looking livery in the world. But it is a part of it, especially at this time of year when the teams are keeping so much close to their chest not only does it give us an indication of what we're going to be seeing on track, it's actually an indication of how healthy the team is. So some cars, for example, coming out there with barely any sponsors at all makes you go, ooh, like quite, that's quite alarming. Uh, yeah, it is. And as we learned from talking to Stuart Mitchell on Friday, really the only thing that you know for sure at the car launch is what the, this year's livery is going to look like. And so what better place to start than with a competition about who has the best livery 
this year. I thought it might be fun to assign numerical values. Oh, are we going to score and them? See, and see where exactly uh, our panel rates overall each livery. Uh, okay, then I'll tell you what, we'll take, we'll take hands up volunteers then. Should we start with Mercedes? Are we saying that is, is 10 like a, is like super pretty? Is that what we're going for? Because 10 is the best, one is the worst. We'll each give it a score, add them up, and then we have the missed apex livery rating done for the year. Okay, so we'll do the scores now, but we'll do the maths like offline and we'll post them on, on Twitter or something like that. How's that? Sure. Um, okay. I, I've, got, I've got a general beef, which I mentioned when Stuart Mitchell was on our, our tech show on Friday, which is that some of the teams just look slightly different from the back uh, than the front. I think the theme should be predominantly the same wherever you're looking at it. So I, I don't want to look at the front, say, of the Williams. And so if, if the camera angle is from the front, I've got to remember that the Williams car is white. But then from the rear, it's predominantly blue. I, I, I don't like that. I'm upset by that. But then the, the old um, Canon Williams livery, which is an iconic livery in my mind, you know, the Mansell Red 5. Actually, that was a little bit split. And I, I didn't remember that. I went back and looked at it. And that was a little different from the back and the front as well. So the current Williams livery may be a bit of a tribute to that, but maybe gone too far too. Let's start with the Mercedes then, Catman, because they're going to look a bit silvery from the back and a bit black from the front. I won't keep going on about it. I'm just saying it's annoying. I am very pleased you came to Mercedes first because that one is the only livery I actively dislike Ooh, this okay. year. Right. I actively hate it. Now, before anybody says anything, last year with the black livery, I put it as my top, my top one. Yeah. Uh, but actually now with that horrible white fin, it just looks atrocious. And with those AMG logos on, it looks like um, somebody uh, has decided that they, uh, they, they want to make it look more fancy than it is. And your score? One. Oh, Kyle. Oh, hang on a minute. If we do one to 10, obviously Ferrari haven't released their livery yet, have they? Well, if you had read the notes, I did you would not. see that in the absence of Ferrari's new livery, we are using Benato's new glasses as a stand-in because they did show up at the launch and there is a picture of them if you need to see it in the notes. Fair enough. Catman. Yeah, I actually think the Ferrari is going to be in a classic black and gold livery because Rich Energy have said that they are going to be sponsoring a team this year and they're the only one left to launch. Uh, so it's going to be black and gold, surely. Uh, I reached out to to reach Rich Energy and they were unable to send anyone to to speak to us in the shed. So I'm not I'm not talking about them anymore. Boo! Come and talk to us. It, it'll be fun. Kyle, Mercedes livery. I couldn't disagree more with Chris there. Um, I agree with just about everything that comes out of Chris's mouth, particularly in the commentary booth, but not on liveries. Um, I think the black is superb. It looks fantastic. It looks striking, especially now they've given more emphasis on the Patronus sort of luminous sort of turquoise sort of stripe along the side. It's got, um, I don't really watch Space Wars and stuff like that, but it's got a very Darth Vader, um, Death Star feel to it. Um, and I like that the ominous black Mercedes coming to win everything. Uh, Matt. Yeah. Oh, go on, Catman, go on. It did have that wonderful, uh, as you say, uh, Star Wars, I'll, I'll correct you on that one, Star Wars logo kind of, Darth Vader type thing but yeah just with the I say the white fin it just it looks like they should just spill the can of paint on the back of it atrocious <laughs> Matt it's a compromise isn't it it's a compromise between what they wanted to do last year which was honor Lewis Hamilton's wishes to further uh, diversity it was clearly in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and this year I guess they're just they, they're still 
seem very keen to continue doing that, but they're just claiming a bit of the, the silver arrowsness back and putting it on there. It's a compromise, and sometimes in a compromise, no one wins. Yeah, designed by committee isn't always the very best of things. But that said, I didn't hate the Mercedes livery actively. I don't think it looks as good as last year's. And and I'm hard-pressed because I'm not a design visual person to tell you why, unlike certain other people on this panel who were showing off their smarty-pants knowledge. But I just, I was like, well, you know, it's not terrible. I can look at it. And certainly if I've got my beer goggles on, I'm not going to complain about it. So I, I gave it a six, personally. Oh, my goodness. You're calling the Mercedes-AMG Patronus well, livery a 2 a.m. A 2 a.m. hookup is what you're calling it, Kyle. And Kyle, what was your number, by the way? I gave it a nine. Okay. My list. So I can only I give, like it a lot. I can only give each number once. Yeah, so I've got to remember that then. Okay, I will give it an eight because I, I actually really like it. So I, I don't like the compromise, but stylistically, it looks good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave aside my complaint about front and back and different angles and stuff and just rate the livery from a design point of view. Uh, let's get Haas out of the way because... I okay. I'll I'll go first. Haas, for me, that livery is is one the lowest I can give. Yes. Right. Okay. So it's got something in its favour in that it's and it looks like a classic livery. It's retro and it looks like a yeah maybe like a seventies eighties style livery. And I do like things being plain. So I'm going to give it a, a two for not being exactly the worst. But I want to make the note that this. Livery is a middle finger to the authorities, to the FIA, to the World Sports Council. There is a quite clear ruling in there, Matt, that people cannot fly or compete under the Russian flag. That includes equipment. This very clearly is the Russian flag on the car. And whatever you think of that sanction, whether you agree with it or not, it is the international sporting community have agreed to these rules and Haas have decided not to do it. They've decided to not comply. They're using a very flimsy excuse that, oh, we submitted it before the thing came in. Yeah, but there's been time since then. You have still very much deliberately gone against that. And I just can't imagine for a second that that's Gene Haas. I can't imagine that Gene Haas, as a member of the motorsport community, has okayed that. So I think that livery is a symbol that he's, he's not somehow not got the say. He's not got the final say, not got the final power at Haas. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because on Friday I mentioned that I didn't think the FIA was going to do anything about the Haas livery. And it turns out in a very narrow sense, I was absolutely correct because it's actually WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, uh, has come out and said they are going to be having a very, very careful look. And specifically because the clause says, uh, shall not pu- display publicly any national emblem or other national symbol of the Russian Federation, including without limitation on clothes, equipment, or yeah, other very personal clear. items. It's so very clear. maybe there's a loophole for liveries on cars that don't belong to drivers, but it's very clear if you look at that front wing, no, it is yeah. the Russian flag colors in order. And that said, if I'm going to get to my score real quick, uh, first of all, aside from that minor niggling little detail... <laughs> It is a pretty good livery. Um, and I gave it a four. I would have gone lower for their sheer flouting of the rules, but uh, for their sheer flouting of the rules. But the fact of the matter is, for a car that's used no development tokens, that is two years old and no money has been spent on it, 
you have to admit that this gambit has seen Haas talked about as much as any of the front runners, <laughs> as far as the livery is concerned. And given the fact that Mazepin Sr. is basically their only sponsor, he probably feels like he's getting his money's worth at this point. Well, officially, the sponsor is, I've forgotten the company name, but I don't know how associated that is with the Mazepin family. However, the Russian Automobile Association, is that what the Russian Automobile Federation confirmed in February, and I'm reading from motorsport.com, confirmed in February that this would extend to the FIA's World Championships, meaning, meaning Mazepin cannot race under the Russian flag this year. And it's in, if it's in uh, line with all the other stuff, that includes equipment, which includes the car. Uh, what were you laughing at? Is that, our, is that our pesky chat room distracting you again, Matt? Hello, live chat. No, no, I was just, it was, it just, I think Kyle's reaction just caught me. <laughs> All right, well, made uh, me laugh because it, it is, you have to admit, it is publicity. And Haas is a team that's probably not going to get featured a lot in the races this year if things turn out the way we all expect them to. All right, let's get your rating, Kyle. For me, it's a livery out of time, which is why I've only scored it too. Um, if that car could talk, it would probably be saying something along the lines of, I'm being treated very well with humility. <laughs> I love you all. Oh, Please God, send Kyle. the money. God. That's probably what the car's saying. Um, it, yeah, it's it's a <laughs> Russian flag. Um, <laughs> there you go. Did it? I've I've rated it as a one for that reason. Okay. <laughs> all right, Catman. Oh, this is going to go well. So I gave it a seven because oh, okay. I really like it. It's beautiful. It's controversial, and it's the the car. Well, the company on the side is Ukrali, which is owned right. by Mazepin's father. Uh, okay, right. Okay, well, there you go. There we go. And, yeah, uh, fair it enough. would be great in like the A one GP or motorsport <laughs> games or something like that. It's a fantastic uh, nationalistic livery of okay. USA or uh, the Dutch flag, maybe. Matt. Uh, Cosmos in the chat room carefully points out that it's not technically illegal until it shows up to the first race. And he does kind of have a point there. Fair. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. But to me, this is a clear indication, especially added to the information that Catman gave us there, uh, that this is no longer Haas. This is Haas in name only. Uh, so, so yeah, I think we need to take that. I think we need to take that as it is, Matt. I, uh, I'm sorry that we've, I'm sorry for your loss of an American team. I don't know. I don't know. Let's move on. Let's move on to uh, another team. Where should we go next, Matt? Well, I had them listed in championship orders. So if we okay. want to jump back to that, Red Bull would be the next contender. Oh, okay. Well, we can- Red Bull, they, they do what they do really well. I really love the, the matte approach, the distinctive uh, yellow that they've got on it. And they've got a it's not broke, don't fix it approach. So I, I'm more than happy to, to give them a seven. I've always loved it. I love the texture of it. And uh, yeah, like it's just that it's on their brand, and they they don't need they don't need to mess around with it. I'm much more interested with what's with what's underneath that shadowy rear suspension uh, that the render didn't quite reveal. Uh, anyone got any comment on the? I'm going to give it a seven. Where else are we going? Anyone else got any comment? Uh, Kyle. Yeah, um, I've given it exactly the same score. I like it, and I <laughs> agree. It's. It's getting rather samey. They've done the same thing year after year, um, even though they've gone matte now and it looks a little bit better. It's essentially always the same. It's always going to be a nailed on seven for me. It looks really good, but nothing strikingly new. People didn't get worried about the Marlborough Rothmans or the JPS uh, liveries being samey every year. I give it a five middle for diddle. Okay. I think uh, we can get to some of the more interesting ones uh, now, Matt, unless you have a comment on the Red Bull. 
No, I was just going to say, I, I tend to agree with Chris. I like the livery, though. It's very samey, and I wound up scoring it seven overall. I ah, see. I think that proves, assuming that we're the authority on whether a livery is good or not, that proves that there Red Bull no have done other. the right thing, haven't they? They've, they've yeah. stuck with it. They've got a winning formula, and they've not messed around with it. Well done. Well done, Red Bull. So the McLaren is up next. And look, we don't all, uh, you know, you can just, if you've got nothing to add, just just give us the the number and Matt's diligently noting them down and doing maths. Catman, I think we're moving on to Miss, uh, McLaren now. Yeah, uh, I think the, to be honest, McLaren had more important things to do, like yeah. shoehorning a Mercedes engine in the back of their mm-hmm, car. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think they bothered to even get the pens out. So I gave it a two. <laughs> Poor effort. Try again next year. Oh, harsh, Kyle. Yeah, it's similar to me. I've given it a three. I don't like this papaya orange thing and uh, the blue. Yes. And to me, McLaren to me, is still Ron Dennis, red and white, gray, yep. like um, corporate boring John Major and Norma eating peas on old spitting image type sort of that image, image, and they're trying to be fun and vibrant with this orange color. You're not quite fooling me at the moment, sort of thing. It's like when Brad pretends to have emotions. We know it's just ones <laughs> and zeros comes out. I guess it's all just a big mask, and that's what that McLaren livery is to me. A a three. I have to admit, Catman, I. Uh, when they first did that, oh, it's papaya, and people, and they did a big uh, push. Like I've been watching F one since I don't know nineteen eighty eight. I I have no real memories or fondness or nostalgia of papaya McLaren. It meant nothing to me. It felt really odd and random. And hey, I'm with Carl. I don't like it. I want I would bring back the the silver chrome and and red, if if anything. Oh, that's a uh, little bit of a hint at your. Uh racing livery isn't it spanners yeah but um do you know i love the papaya i love the orange and blue i think it's wonderful the only problem is i can't buy any of the merch because my wife's a redhead Ooh, that's harsh is that a thing so what did you just... score them no i gave them a two. Oh. Oh, right, you already did that, that i love I, I love the color but this year's a a very um a hotly contested um kind of competition here i think there's a lot of great liveries this year there is but i can't i'm completely shaken the, uh, the fact that Catman is worried about clashing with his wife's hair from a... Fa- okay, no, hey, that's... If that's your... Th- I'm not kink-shaming. No, that's fine. Uh, let's move on. Who's next on the list, Matt? Well, um, I was just going to say I disagree with all of you. Oh, okay. I actually liked the Maca enough to give it a five, along the exact same reasons as Red Bull. I like the orange. It's distinctive and easy for me to see on track. Yeah. And I feel like... Like Chris said, I don't think they did very much. Next up would be Aston, however. Okay. I, I gave him a four, by the way, McLaren. Did I? Oh, no, no I did. A, did, I, did I do a three? I did a three. I thought we'll you gave him a three. That's all right. Don't worry. Maths on the fly is fun, isn't it? People like it. it. Is. People like it. People like seeing the admin. Aston Martin. Exciting. Seeing that brand back in. A little disappointed. I'm not the best colory person, but that's not a British racing green they've gone for, is it? But it is still a... Still a nice green cat, man, and I think uh, I I quite like it. The the pink accent that everyone was fearing, uh, again, to me, it feels like a different pink. It's not the faded Vauxhall Astra pink of the of the previous BWT livery. <laughs> it's just a nice, like, hot pink trim. That's good. I, I've got a fear that in the sun it's going to look a lot like the Mercedes and the Alpine, but, uh, yeah, I like it. I'm, oh. I'm, in fact, do I give it a number? I'll give it a number. Uh, pool, six, six, yeah, six. Mm. I I loved it. I think it's great. Um, the it's just a bit of a, a geek out here. It's very much like the uh, BMS Sudria Italias from the Le Mans seasons, the GT cars they had. They're fantastic. That 
beautiful deep green. It's fantastic. And it's great to see an Aston uh, back on the the circuit again. As you said, Spanners, that pink stripe is not quite as garish or manky as it could nah, have been. It's all right. It, it, it's decent. And Lance Stroll has gone for a, a matching green helmet, it looks like, from the promo shots anyway. And that that looks proper mean as a, as a helmet livery combo. It is so good. Eight from me. Hmm, I wonder if uh, Vettel, surely he's not going to go for a, for a green helmeted livery as well. Although last season, both drivers were rocking the BWT pink. To, and that seems like that team's thing. But that surely they can't make, they're not going to make Vettel do it. No, he. I've seen the promo of him as well. He's got his white helmet with mm. the three stripes again. You might change that up a bit because there was a BWT advert he's done with pink stripes. Um, but it's mainly going to be the German stripes again. Okay, brilliant. Have we got scores? Any more scores and comments? We done, Kyle. Yeah, I quite like it. I was a bit disappointed it's not the full British racing green, but Aston Martin's cool. It does look like a can of hairspray. Yes, it looks like similar. It should have volume boosting on the side, but Aston Martin's cool. It's cool to have it back in. And I actually think the little pink sort of touches that everyone's feared actually adds to it. So I've given it a nice big eight. Yeah, I'm still recovering from the Daniel Craig drop in on the launches map where it's like, I'm really looking forward to the new season with the experience of Vettel and the checks notes. Amazing young talent of Lance Stroll. Is this the, do I get the money now or when I finished? Okay, good. Uh, have fun in the 2021 season, everyone. Goodbye. Matt. Yeah, I, I think we can agree that there were not any really great online launches and if you had some real issues, but hopefully in the years to come, they will get that a little bit better. I gave them a nine because I like the fact they are the only green team and I think that once you see that in the sunlight, it's going to look better and not worse. And my, my only regret is they didn't go for that really amazing, uh, was it Jordan, whoever had like that 7-Eleven green or the 7-Up green? That would have been my absolute favorite. Yeah, unfortunately, it isn't 1997. So I think that may have been unavailable. Uh, are we going to move on to Alpha Tauri? Have you collected our, our scores, Matt? In fact, you guys... It's actually got... Alpine that is next. Oh, okay. Let's do Alpine. <gasps> okay, me first. Bagsy, bagsy, bagsy. What's the highest I can give? 10? 10. 10. 10, baby. Smashed it out of the park. Not just because it's a, a Sean Bull livery. Uh, and he did our, our missed apex... Um, Swarm livery a couple of seasons back. But the reason we asked him to do it is because he's an amazing livery designer. And that thing just, it's, it's, it's otherworldly. It's like the future. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love the color. I love the pick. I love everything about it. It's, uh, it's brilliant. Anyone want to fight me? Who's going to fight me? Kyle? I wasn't going to fight. I was going to unanimously agree with you. It's fantastic. It is my number 10 as oh, well. Okay. It's awesome. Yep. Totes to Sean Bulls. Uh, Sean Ball, incredible. And, um, and the team. He was absolutely. involved. I, I don't think it's a, a full Sean Ball design. Yeah. Sorry. But it's but it's that, the shade of blue and then merging in with the flags at the back. And they did say they had a little homage to the chassis made in UK, in Great Britain, and the engines made over in France. And they've done a little sort of a mishmash to the flags there as well. I love everything about it. Cool. Anything less than a 10? No, nope. uh, 10. <laughs> I had to sit down when I saw it. Oh, just <laughs> stunning. Absolutely stunning. Matt. Yep. A 10 for me too. Oh, right. It was my best looking livery by miles. Okay. I I thought I was going to be maybe a little bit out on the limb being so enthusiastic about, about that livery. Again, my only fear is we've only seen a render of that one though, haven't we? 
Like they're so good. No, we've seen it on track. Have I've we? seen it on track. Oh, okay. It's absolutely stunning. Is it? in, the, in the sunlight, it just glints. It's oh, perfection. Yeah, it okay. One of the best liveries. The okay. only one that beats it for me ever is the 98 Jordan. Apart from that, it's just beautiful. So that was my fear that it wouldn't translate onto on track. And if it does, that's um, that's really, really cool. All right, then, uh, Matt, let's uh, Well, we, we've declared a winner. Wrap it up, boys. We're, we're all done. Where should we go next? Uh, Ferrari, they Alpha don't Dari. have there. Alpha Tauri. Right. I, I really like this, actually. Oh, no, you're right, Ferrari. I apologize. <laughs> well, it's going to give it a one because I'm not playing your silly Rate Bonotto's glasses game. And as we've just Fine. established, glasses wearers have jeopardized the safety of everyone at Mist Apex karting events now. I'm actually horrified that you guys just whip your glasses off and go racing. I can't get over it. Then maybe we should hear from Kyle. Hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, Ferrari... Slap bang in the middle, five. It is always going to be there. We haven't seen it. We know it's going to be red. Ferrari is red. I'm not one of these people who falls over and thinks Ferrari's a beer and end all, but Ferrari is cool. You can't get away from that. Red is cool. It looks cool. It's going to be, a, yeah, always five for me in the middle, every season. Yep, I've gone for a three because I can't say here or there and there are plenty that, that are better. There was one instance in, in history where Ferrari wasn't red. Anybody know when that was? Uh, I'm going to guess 1954 when they were a strange shade of beige. Close. It oh. was uh, when uh, John Surtees won the championship and it was white and blue. He they did it for a race because uh, Enzo Ferrari didn't want them to be associated for one race for some odd reason. So well, they said, well, fine, we're going to run the North American colours. That sounds like a quiz question from our quiz master. We have questions. We have a quiz ready we are just deciding on the format. This could be really interesting. What we're toying with is the panel playing your quiz, but we've got an online system that we've been trialing for patron-only events where people can register, they can pile on and, and play electronically alongside, and so we can have the, the live listeners' leaderboard happening as we do the quiz. Yeah, sounds perfect. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, Kyle, you need to join that because you're you're our quiz man or you're rather good at the uh, music. Kyle, you've ruined every quiz we've done by winning it really easily. It's been very, very annoying. <laughs> well, sorry for having a memory. I could just remember things. <laughs> um, just I can't you wait, wait till you get older, young man. Mm, yeah. <laughs> if only. Um, I know Brad is also itching. He's, very, um, he's also very knowledgeable with Formula One and has a and and has a robotic memory as well so i think brad is looking for a face off i'm mm. happy. i'm i'm all for going for a quiz off yeah i don't like it when catman's available to be quiz master because normally i'm like hey, catman's not available i'll be quiz master don't worry guys i'm all over it now i've got to sit and answer the questions and look stupid alongside <laughs> matt but we will do it we'll do more stuff like that we are halfway through the show matt so let's let's hurry through a little bit the rest of them because we've got lots of interesting things uh, we want to talk about as well uh, but let me take this opportunity to say thank you to our patrons patreon.com forward slash missed apex thank you so much for supporting us especially during this weird pandemic uh, i think without you guys we would definitely have folded so we are here only because of the patrons patreon.com forward slash missed apex and one of the main reasons we really can not just keep ticking over in the off season i've heard some shows their off-season content, they, they turn up and say, well, there's nothing really to talk about. What should we talk about? There's loads. And we're able to put the time and effort into putting together these shows 
chasing up guests, interesting people for you to talk to. Uh, who have we had on this winter? Obviously, we have uh, Joe Saywood come on. Matthew Carter has been on in the off-season. We've had Alex, Alex Brundle, uh, Chris Medland, Stuart Mitchell from Race Car Engineering, Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com. The reason we can put the time and effort into that is because we are supported by you at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Supported podcasts survive. Podcasts that have no backing and and aren't supported just fade away. So if you want to help us survive and thrive into 2021, the link is in the show notes of whatever medium you are listening to, Matt. Right. So we have just Alpha Tari, Alpha Romeo, and Williams left to go. So Kyle, give us your three scores for those three teams. Okay. So Alpha Romeo first. I gave them a four. Um I preferred it when they came in first as Alfa Romeo and it was more white. I don't like the more addition of the red on there and it's uh, quite boring from last year as well. So yeah, that's a four. Um, Alfa Tauri, a six. I quite like it, but again, not quite as good as last year's. Um, And what was the last one? Williams. Oh, Williams. Yes. Oh dear. Um, (laughs) Williams, Williams slammed down at two. It was only because Haas have hijacked the car that, um, that, that Williams gets a two. It's it's very nineties tracksuit coming coming out the four boys like I was as a kid wearing it. Um, yeah, I don't like it. It looks a big step backwards. It looks a bit confused. Not a fan. Right, Catman. I agree with Kyle on almost everything. So Alfa Romeo four inverted colours from last year. Yeah, preferred last year. Same with Alfa Tauri at six. Williams, big old nine baby. What? Love, no. love the look You've of that thing. That's mind, ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, can someone do a welfare check on Catman, please? Uh, barkeep, I'll have what Catman's having. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of the the Saubers from the nineties. It's beautiful. Please keep that. Uh, keep putting no sponsors on it because then they can just doodle on it. It looks like a five year old's got a crayon and scribbled on it. So full disclosure, Matt, I've my notes have failed me really when it comes to what scores I've got left to give, but I'll give you my opinions and a, and a, and a guess. I don't think I've given a nine yet. So that's going to go to um, Alpha Tauri. I love it. It's simple. It is matte. It's bold. The colors strike. And you can see definitely that that is that car from whichever way you look at it. I love it. Agree with the guys about the Alpha Romeo. Not, not really a fan of that color scheme. And Williams, I think have, I don't, if you don't have nothing else to say, doesn't it? Yes, mum. Uh, I'm just giving it a one. That's the last number I've got left over, Matt. Right. So clearly I'm in disagreement here because I am not a big fan, nor was I last year of the Alpha Tauri livery. I just didn't like it. Maybe it's just a personal thing. So I gave them a two, actually, only because Haas got extra points for the publicity they garnered. Um, Alpha Romeo, I, I really like that livery. I gave them an eight. Perhaps because it reminds me of a classic Eddie Merckx bike that I once owned. Just that white, is that pearlescent white is just very classic colors. And as we all know, in typical Alpha fashion, they design, they make a beautiful looking car that may or may not work on any given day. <laughs> Fair enough. But Al- Alpha Tauri are one of the most exciting teams, uh, I think, with their driver lineup. But we're not talking about that today. No, we're just talking about the livery, which livery. means we can have a bit of fun with it. And Williams, I... I I hesitate to say this, but you and I 100% agree on Williams. I gave it a one as well. I don't like the stripes. I don't like the different colors. In fact, you know, like there's just not too much about it that I do like other than the fact that, well, at least they're on the grid. So liveries are subjective, of course. And just because I don't like it, it doesn't mean I'm saying they're terrible. Uh, I have been forced 
by Matt to grade them from 1 to 10. Props to Williams for what they attempted to do, which was the augmented reality launch. So you could download yep. an app and then you you use AR, so you point your camera, say, at your parking space, and it was going to appear as if the Williams car was outside your house. You know, like, we've all seen the apps where you can do it with, like, a dinosaur or whatever. And the fact that they were going to do that, especially in times like these, like, absolute hats off for the attempt. As it turned out, they actually had the code, I think, for the livery on the app. So people were quite easily able... They called it a hack, which I guess technically it is, but people were quite... uh, uh, quite able to just tear apart the coding and pull the livery out of that and then go and release it why that stopped them from then going ahead with the ar launch i don't know the details on that are sketchy just because the just because the livery was leaked i don't know why that stopped them going ahead with the ar thing because that would have been really cool so i hope that they will still launch that feature because i would get a little thrill out of seeing a williams parked in my parking space outside or something Uh, let's move on guys Okay, here at Mr. Apex Podcast, I work tirelessly to bring you good subjects, but sometimes uh, Matt ruins that. So apparently, we're going to be talking about freight. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to pour a drink. I'm going to zoom in on Matt on the video and just, uh, all right, let's talk. Let's talk shipping containers, trumpets. Well, this all goes back to a story I saw in the New York Times yesterday where someone commented that the price of a shipping container going from China to the West Coast of the United States had gone from $2,000 per container to $67,000 per container. That's a bigger number. Naturally enough, I know that Formula One does use sea freight quite a bit to save on their carbon footprint and to move all the non-racy stuff around the world. In fact, they have four or five sets of equipments and each set is three, usually three 40-foot containers. And they generally send it out four to six weeks ahead of time. And I think to myself, wow, that's going to be a bit of a budget buster if they haven't booked ahead of time, isn't it? As it turns out, not quite the budget buster I expected. As the Times misquoted the person with whom they spoke. It wasn't sixty-seven thousand; it was six to seven thousand dollars. Now that being said, if you multiply it all out, that's still an additional seventy-five thousand dollars a year. If DHL, who arranges all the shipping, passes it on directly to them, and if the prices are that high when they book the um, when they book the shipping, I would assume for next season because. Like many things, I suspect DHL, they trade shipping futures, um, so I suspect they book well in advance when they think they've got a good price and they lock it in. But if DHL has bet on the price going down and it hasn't, then DHL eats that loss. And now here's where it gets interesting, though. Oh, oh good. Oh, phew. <laughs> that was me thinking it wasn't going to get interesting, but I am reassured. Well, there's two possible problems aside from the price staying high. One is that one of the reasons the price is high is because the actual availability of containers is very, very low between both Europe and North America and China right now. Mm-hmm. But more entertainingly, I had a chat with everyone's favorite, Matthew Carter, about this. Right. And unlike certain people on this panel who were making faces while I'm talking. I'm not making any faces. You don't know. He was actually kind of intrigued by this story mm-hmm. and shared with me that once upon a time as team principal... He actually went and found, DHL shows up and says, this is what you're paying for shipping this year. And he, being a penny-pinching 
a businessman, CEO, businessman yeah. went and found a cheaper option and was told by Formula One that he could use that option if he liked, but that when when their trucks showed up to the paddock, they would not be granted access to unload any of his equipment. Well, that is that is genuinely interesting. Are you sure he said it was okay to say that on the show? Um, there's at least a possibility he did. Okay, okay so put, put it in real terms for me. What impact do we think this might have? Surely for the flyaways, the, the the stuff's already gone. So are we looking at this being a problem for like maybe the North American legs, something like that? It's a, it's a potential for the later races that use the use the shipped freight if DHL hadn't already booked it and doesn't. And if they are short of capacity, that could like delays unloading. They're saying that ships are waiting four or five, six days to unload in Los Angeles right now. Circuit of the Americas on on there. If they've shipped freight to, if they, I think they ship it to Canada and truck it to Coda, but if they are shipping it to there, then then the unloading potentially causes a problem. But it's also very very much uh, uh, an issue for next season if the prices don't drop because DHL will likely pass on some or all of that to the teams and between the loss of sponsorship money, the loss of TV money, the loss of prize money. It's, you know, $75,000 isn't a lot for Mercedes, but for Haas or Williams right now, I mean, that's a couple of employees that you're going to have to say goodbye to. That is an awful lot. And that could have a very, very big impact. Um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Formula One and the teams for scoring points and their standing, does that mean is that the deal is still in place that Formula One will heavily subsidize their transport and shipping costs as well? So if DHL are passing that cost on to Formula One, Formula One will probably then pass the cost on to the teams. The teams will be receiving less subsidization for for their transport. So whether it's passed on to them directly from DHL or just via Formula One, they will most likely be seeing an impact in their their costs. Yeah. And the thing is, we don't know what we don't know. We haven't been able to get anyone from a current team or anyone from DHL to talk to us yet. yet. But there is good news about that. Because what is we it? here oh. at Missed Apex Ooh, okay. have adopted a team of writers. <laughs> we and have. one of them is very diligently right now working on this story for us. And we may have quotes from team from team people, from press people, from DHL come I'd say maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. And I think we might even be able to read the story on our very own Missed Apex website. You can go to MissedApexPodcast.com or MissedApexPodcast.net. It will redirect you to our homepage where we'll have a carousel of our written articles. And every episode is always available in video and audio form right there on the homepage. So if you can share with your friends www.MissedApex.net or MissedApexPodcast.com, we'd be really grateful. Post it on your social media. We are trying really hard to uh, to set a budget and to to spend that wisely on marketing in time for the new season. But the biggest power we've always had is that our listeners and our community want to share it. So please share uh, those URLs. They're they're in the um, in the show notes below. Uh, so it's easy just uh, just copy and paste and share it on your social media. Uh, but as Matt alludes to, we have adopted a a whole team of writers who had left their thing and they needed a place to go. And we've brought them in under the Missed Apex umbrella. So I'm really excited to see what they can do. Obviously, they will promote the podcast in their written work. And we will provide interesting links. Uh, in every episode, we will give written links to uh, to articles that 
that have, have piqued our interest and that we think you might enjoy. So look out for that in Missed Apex. But now we're going to turn our attention to tracks. Okay, so this has been brought about because there are some changes at Albert Park for the Australian Grand Prix and Barcelona. Uh, which one of our panel here has got has got the skinny on the track changes? Who, who's my expert track change guy? Uh, trumpets, it's on you then. Uh, what are we changing at Barcelona? Turn 10. Okay. Specifically, it has been untightened, but not to the previous level that it was untightened. And the main reason we are changing that is is just really is just really to give it a bit more flow because you know, turn 10 formally just was a really stiff braking zone and not much else so turn 10 uh this is if if you can env- envisage barcelona the uphill sweeping right hander where in the olden days people would get really scruffy on the on the exit uh and, but now i think it's an easy flat and then you'd have the long back straight and a big stopping zone with a left uh, left turn back up the hill I, I quite like that kyle from certainly just from driving it on sims and watching it on telly that feels like the kind of corner that we want we want a big stop at the end of a a long straight don't we yes we do the original turn 10 so basically this new one that they've done is basically it's exactly shadowing the original one so it's between the new one they've put in which is that really tight hairpin mm. the problem with that hairpin it is a big stop at the end of a straight with a drs zone Problem is the corner preceding the straight is a flat out just on the edge corner, so they can never get close enough. And plus it was so tight on the exit and go into a very tight flip-flop follow my leader section. So this new one, I don't think it's going to help the overtaking. It will certainly be a good corner in terms of the driving experience. It's basically exactly a shadow of its former self, almost literally it follows the profile and is inside its former self. So it will make it more flowing for the drivers. Will it improve overtaking? I very much doubt it. So, uh, Catman, if if it's not improving overtaking and Barcelona's main problem with modern cars is probably overtaking, it's not given us great racing over the years. I don't know. I'm not sure. What's the point? <laughs> I don't see I don't see what they're trying to achieve here. I think they fully embrace that they're not going to get an exciting race and they're just making it for testing purposes because that's all it's good for. Right. I, I'm not a fan of, of Barcelona whatsoever. I hate driving it on Sims. Oh, I think it's, really? I think it's boring. As as Kyle was saying, though, the the, the flip-flap section afterwards where it's it's one following the other just means that even if you get side-by-sides, you don't get good racing afterwards because you've got to just squish through the next bit. Pointless. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I, I really want to defend the track because I love the track. Um, I don't think it's held up as well as, say, some of the more historic tracks like the Nürburgring or Portimao or um, what's the exact, Hungaro Ring. Uh, but I, I do love it. It's just... It's so flowing now, it's and that's the good thing about it is that it's this flowing, sweeping circuit. It doesn't give anybody a chance to really kind of attack. And I think that final section, Kyle, is where it comes under the greatest criticism. So the final section is is a tight right hander, then a tight left, then a tight right, and and it has the same effect that we see in the stadium section in the Mexican Grand Prix, which is yes, you've got this great big long straight down into a a pretty good turn one, turn two complex. But that chicane guarantees that everyone starts the straight nice and spread out. Yeah, the chicanes put in the previous two corners were fantastic at Barcelona. It was um, Martin Brundlewood said he used to always knock your feelings out and you'd get jaw rate because he used to clench <laughs> the, his jaw going through those corners because it was a high G corners. So they've tried to bunch the cars up on onto the straight again using theories and, and simulations by putting in the tightest flip-flop sausage curb death sort of chicane and nobody likes it. it is universally hated amongst everybody motor gp used to use the previous two corners i have to get a motor gp comment in i always do and unfortunately they reverted back to the formula one chicane they are now going back to using the original layout with some safety changes around the outside hopefully f1 could do the same ah. because the new chicane putting just before the straight hasn't bunched the cars up it hasn't had the desired effect now with no. a high tire wear track and a surface which the front left takes an absolute pounding, you could argue that having two more high-energy right-hand fast mm. corners looking after the front left tyre will hurt the tyres more, give more variation in strategy, and you could generate overtaking and a, and a pace differential that way. So I say let's go back and use the original layout and get rid of the chicane because nobody likes it. I hadn't realised that. I hadn't heard that anywhere else. Because if, if MotoGP is a driver, unfortunately, for, for a lot of the changes in F1 tracks, that, that might be positive. I think that might be like a kind of a last roll of the dice for, for like not hating Barcelona because I don't want to. I, I think there's a lot going on with it and there's a lot right with it. But I, I think this theory that somehow a tight, sh- tight chicane, like a left, right, right, left into a long straight helps. I think we can kind of put that to bed. Uh, Catman, sorry. Yeah, those initial changes were put in for MotoGP. They asked for them deliberately, and they went there before F1 did. Uh, but I agree with you with the the tight corners before a long straight. Abu Dhabi is another classic example of of a circuit where that just does not work. Before the the first long straight, you have that really tight left right, and then the hairpin, and all that does is it just uh, just spreads the cars out. If they just had a straight run to the hairpin and then off on the straight, they might actually get better overtaking which they can do because basically Abu Dhabi is a car park. So they should just do that. Okay, but we've got we've got some examples on the modern F1 calendar where we've got exactly what you're asking for. So if we look at the, the home straight at Baku in Azerbaijan, 
Uh, you've got essentially straights. So from turn 16, I think it is, you are straight all the way down to turn one. And is that the longest straight in F1? It's like a mile or something? Yes. Something dark. Yes, and we get good racing at turn one, nowhere else on the track because street circuits suck. Uh, but is that what you're calling for, basically, is just effectively long straights, even if there is... Uh, even if there is a turn, you want them to be flat for a mile before a corner to generate racing. No, I think I think the problem is if you have such a tight corner before a long straight, it makes it hard to get on the power effectively, and then the cars just string out. If you have a flat out corner just before a long straight, then they can't follow because the aero wash is too high. So you need a kind of medium to low speed corner. Uh, to be able to, to keep the cars to follow. And as Kyle said, you need difference in strategy as well. I just dropped into the live chat and I look, I went, oh, we've got a troll. Look, there's someone saying MotoGP rocks, but it was Kyle. <laughs> it's Kyle chatting in the... In the look, no, no, no. I, I used to watch uh, uh, bikes. I'm a biker myself uh, on the road. I, w- I was. Mrs. Spanner says I'm not allowed anymore. But I was. Um, I grew up watching it with my dad. But it's such a different discipline to formula one that I, I, i'm always a bit disappointed when there's any kind of comparison and when f1 has to compromise i understand that tracks are a business and that's inevitable but it it is so so different that it's a shame it's a consideration so i uh kyle well i may add the change back to the old formula i don't think that was entire uh, barcelona i don't think that was entirely motor gp's fault um, that chicane was put in for Formula One when it was that chicane was there. MotoGP continued using the old layout right. until, unfortunately, Luis Salom had his unfortunate right. incident there, and then they've changed it now because of that. They have started making safety measure changes around the outside of the track. Now MotoGP are thinking of reverting back to that layout. They were given the option to and decided to stick with the F1 layout, but that is more of an option now. So actually, MotoGP giveth the option. My apologies, although uh, they were responsible for getting rid of the gravel trap at Parabolica, which is just diabolical. Yeah, no, I I didn't like that change either. But good news, everyone. Missed Apex Podcast, as a corporation, has scrambled together enough money just to build a Formula One track in in an undisclosed location that just happens to be perfect we get the the good weather it's the the missed apex grand prix is at a time when we get a grip we we've not got a turkish grand prix situation because fortunately we planned really long in advance so we we laid down this circuit four years ago now um but somehow magically we also have a time machine which means that we can dictate the corners this scenario fell down very quickly but i think what i'm driving at is we're going to design the perfect f1 track Question one, Catman. How many corners are we going to have? Are we going Nordschleifer with 472 corners? Or are we going Red Bull Ring with two corners? Well, if it's the missed Apex Grand Prix, surely none, because uh, you don't need any Apexes. Yeah, we really didn't think through the name of this uh, organisation very well, did we? Well, we assumed (laughs) no one was going to listen and we wouldn't be running events. I'm aware (laughs) that missed Apex Karting, which will be a series in 2022, doesn't have the best name on the competitive karting circuit, but it's too late now. Catman, answer my original question without pointing out the obvious flaws in my project management. So without wanting to anger Brad, because I'm frankly scared of Brad, um, I think there's too many corners on the, the Nürburgring Nordschleife. It just uh, it makes it well too hard to even learn the track for a simple yeah. soul like me. Yeah, for a spectator, um, yeah. 
but the Red Bull ring is that too simple? You know, it, it does provide some some good overtaking, some interest, and you get lots of laps, so you get lots of goes at that overtaking spot. But is it too easy for the drivers? You know, do they need something uh, in between, like a Silverstone, for example? I, I think that's where the the uh, the sweet spot lies. I'm not. I don't. I wouldn't list. The, the the Red Bull Ring is one of my favourite tracks. However, it does have this in its favour in that it's it's like a roller coaster when you're watching a, a battle. When there's a battle happening, it's like, oh, is it going to happen? Is it? Oh, it didn't happen. Okay, okay, they go. And then before you've got time to breathe again, oh, we're back into that bit. We're back into the series of corners where ah, it didn't happen this time. So it's got that kind of energy and flow to it. So in that way, I like it, and in that way, I kind of like the the Shakir. Bahrain Grand Prix um, layout, Kyle. But there was something. There's something missing about those tracks. It doesn't feel like the track I would build it from scratch with a with a blank sheet of paper. Probably what's missing from those tracks, uh, I guess, even though the Austrian Grand Prix is um is a modern, you know, it's got lots of heritage. The the what it was the A1 ring and now the Red Bull ring is quite a modern track. So and the other tracks you've listed, they massively lacked just the natural topography character, you know, like and and punishment, mainly punishment for big mistakes like gravel traps, fearsome curbs. Yes, Austria does punish the cars because there's curbs offline. They do damage the cars when they when they run wide, but they can generally run wide, get back on, and there's no problem. Same with Bahrain. Uh, and it also lacks features around it. For, as a driver, I really, you know, when driving on Sims, I really, really like Bahrain, but it's got a couple of absolutely shocking, horrible corners that nobody likes. The awful turn seven, I think it is, onto the back straight, and the oh, wait, wait, wait. corner sorry, before sorry. the back straight, and the last corner. Sorry, a is, really difficult. Kyle, is the turn difficult. seven the one with the increasing radius onto the back straight? That's a great corner. On Bahrain, coming down the off camber, they all snatch the inside wheel. When driving on the sim, it's it's nice when you get it right, like one times out of ten, but the other nine times it sucks. But we see the best drivers in in the world coming to that corner and being unable to to manage it and like you say unloading because they're having to they have to break and steer into that corner that's the kind of challenge we want isn't it it's an error generator mm. and sorry i think i've just taken cam hands what was you <laughs> say um it's an error generator but it's not a fun error generator oh i don't oh, know that- no, it is absolutely. It's an error generator, which means that the cars don't just follow each other like a train. And if someone at the front of the train gets it wrong, then they go under pressure under the next DRS zone. I love that corner. Yeah. Well, there we go, Kyle. Uh, Matt, as a American, obviously you guys don't, I mean, you're not fans of any kind of braking at all or changing the direction of a corner. How, how do you find the, the, European, the European tracks, the traditional ones? Well, it depends. You know, my experience in watching the racing is that there are certain tracks where the racing is very good. I don't know how challenging it is to the drivers, but if you were asking me to pick a track that I really like, my favorite track of all time, I think would be Suzuka, despite the general lack of overtaking that occurs there. There's just something magical about the way they've arranged it. When you watch the car go, you can see the driver's skill so easily on circuit and for me that that balance is what you're looking for across a whole season you need different types of tracks you need different types of corners you want to test the drivers in every possible area and when you've got the design wrong i think it's okay to to fess up and say look you know we tried this to do x it is doing y instead 
let's have a rethink. And as you mentioned at Barcelona and especially at Albert Park, this is something they are now doing and I'm all in favor of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think the reason why Suzuka is like that and these old, what we call old school tracks are, they haven't been designed by a committee and an algorithm and using simulations and loads of data. They've been designed through want of a better expression, more sort of naturally and a flow. Somebody sat down and drawn that layout out without applying a formula to it with without applying data to it it's it's just come out naturally in flows you can see tracks like um abby dabby where they've thought about it too much maybe that's great but you've just named two tracks that are wonderful to drive and wonderful to watch lewis hamilton flying through the s's yeah when was the last great race at suzuka that you had that didn't have weather generating problems where's the overtaking spot at suzuka unless you're kobayashi I was going to say the Kobayashi <laughs> one. Um, was it 2013? Yeah. Well, I think if you're Alonso around the outside of 130R, no? Yeah, we all know 130R now is just, uh, it, you can do it one-handed if you're Charles Leclerc. So, oh you my know, God. I, no, hang on. Right. I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day and, and how like Charles Leclerc, who is like a, a physically supreme athlete, right, who's been driving a car since he was like two years old, just because he can go through 130R one-handed doesn't mean you on your sofa can go through 130R one-handed. I I was having a giggle when people go, whoa, it's too easy. I'm like, dude, you squeeze into that cockpit and you try going through 130R. It's because that lad has lived and breathed racing his his entire life. Even get into a sim... And like have something like the amount of times we've done like sim racing and I've had like my VR headsets not quite right or I've had to reach over and like stop my phone alarm from going off and you do anything to distract you and you're off the track and you're completely gone. So yeah, Charles Leclerc can do that because he's Charles Leclerc. You're not Charles Leclerc. Uh, Right. I'm somewhat distracted, but I would like uh, to ask you, Matt, uh, to clarify what the Albert Park change was because we never got to that. Right. Well, Albert Park is going to be more interesting. Um, they've turned uh, not the 910 complex into a flowing switchback, which is going to make the entry to 1112 even faster. They've widened turn 13 and reprofiled it to be a positive camber to encourage multiple lines. They're widening turn six, which is the run onto Lakeside Drive. And um, also turn 15 to make defending a bit harder. You can't just put your car in the one line anymore. It's going to be a bit more tricky. And they're uh, widening turn one and turn three a bit, um, possibly to help alleviate the Alonzo disaster that happened. But the other thing that's really interesting is they've made the positive choice. I mean, and, and just because it's first usually, which is also something that might be up in the air, but because it's first, it's usually pretty exciting just because nothing ever quite works like the teams expect especially after it's been shipped all the way across the ocean. Uh, But they're putting more aggressive asphalt in, which might see the tires, might see the team struggling even a bit more with the tires. I I agree with Matt. I think that will have more impact on the racing than the actual track changes will. The track changes, they look quite good. So that annoying, horrible right-left scrape up against the wall towards the awesome 11 and 12 complex is now essentially going to be a flat, flat out flip-flop. Um, the problem, the problem, the problem, <laughs> problem. <laughs> would be um, that you still have the awesome 11 and 12 there. Um, and then it goes down to 13. It's being reprofiled and some positive camber. 
more lines all very well and good but unfortunately you still have turns 11 and 12 which are a high speed can't really follow through their corners they'd be better off getting rid of 11 and 12 as well and having it one flat out long run down to the heavy braking zone of 13 i fear these changes are not going to help overtaking because of turns 11 and 12 but turns 11 and 12 is what gives albert park the the large bulk of its magic so they're never going to get away they're never going to get rid of them yeah, that and they have to go around the massive lake in the middle. Um, but I, I think you were right in terms of the the, the lovely fast sweeping corners are never going to change. But making wider entries, which is what they're doing as well to corners, is really important because and also having a, a reasonable exit as well, because you can the more lines you can take through a corner gives you more battling room, gives you uh, a bit more play with the the ideal racing line there'll always be one ideal racing line I, i'm you know not i'm not silly that's that's obvious but if you can uh get through the corner quickly from a different starting point then you're going to be able to go through side by side with somebody mm, yeah and, and this is the thing do we want side by side racing do we want an ultimate test of driver experience or do we want a mix and the boring answer is that we probably do want uh, a mix but I, I I love that concept, Catman, because you know, looking at uh, Sochi when before it came out, uh, before we had the first race there, I was looking at Turn Three and going, "That is magnificent." There's going to be multiple racing lines through there. This is going to generate the best racing. This is going to be amazing. It's the worst track on the calendar, obviously, except for Monaco, uh, and it, and it didn't kind of it didn't work out. So it, I think track designers as much as we we give them stick and abuse if we were going to sit down and design our track from scratch i think we'd come up against the same kind of problems i think the best tracks seem to be the ones that all, organically as if they grew on trees but you know like sometimes the historical tracks the best ones have just evolved uh, came about and we've kept them and we got rid of or the tracks that happen to not be good have gone away and so we've got this nostalgia about the the tracks that survived Right, and how many of your wonderful historic tracks are street circuit spanners? I don't do this to me, Catman. I, I oh, get right. The reason why, the reason why, hang on. The reason why is because you mentioned Sochi. Now, Sochi is essentially mm. a street circuit. Yeah. So, and it's terrible. what happened is you you had all of those wonderful lines going yep. into a corner, but as soon as any rubber goes on, yep. it bounces off the wall and then makes those lines not grippy and useless. All right, let's end by talking about the correct assertion from me that street circuits are bad. Let's talk about why why they're bad. So everything good about Baku is the, the long straight into turn one. The rest of the track looks great and might well be a brilliant test, but it, it doesn't give good racing. Singapore, spectacular. Absolutely spectacular under the lights. I would love to go there one day, but it is just, it's a, it's just a race, a racing killer. Monaco, you know my opinions about Monaco. Kyle, why are street circuits terrible? What makes them suck so bad? Well, you're completely and utterly limited with what you can do. Yeah. You can't, you can't just say, "Oh, we want, um, we want 117 degree just sort of arc corner yeah. through there," because yeah. you have to go through buildings and people's living rooms, and it doesn't work like that. So, a lot of the ones um, in sort of more modern cities are. Uh, they're modern grid blocks so you get left with 90 degrees left and rights and things like that street circuits would be really good if they were wide it's a great challenge for the drivers driving between the walls they'd be very good if they if they are really really wide but they're not the only chance that they did to have a 
have this is that Las Vegas Grand Prix where they essentially made it in the car park and they still managed to make it load of 90 degree lefts and rights and made it awful. Yeah, that's because most American streets uh, have 90 degree corners like Phoenix as well as another prime example. However, I'm going to go with probably what Matt's going to say on this in that IndyCar managed to do street circuits pretty damn well and they make brilliant racing. Uh, so it's not just a street circuit that is the problem here. Nope, it's also the choice of location. Okay, but let's let's keep this to F1 for now. And there was a suggestion in the chat room that we have an F1 oval. I wouldn't be completely opposed to that. But don't uh, don't ovals have like 48 cars or whatever? We've only got 20. Well, the first Bahrain, was it the first or second Bahrain, was effectively an F1 oval. Well, the no, second it one, wasn't. That, that seemed to work out okay for most people. It, <laughs> it led to some fairly exciting racing. Okay. Well, I think uh, I think where, where this conversation is going, where I want to end up with, Kyle, is street circuits have a lot of narrow 90-degree turns. Take the narrow out of it. Is there something about a lot of consecutive straights, 90-degree turns, 90-degree turn chicanes? What, what makes that bad for racing? Well, it doesn't necessarily make it bad for racing. It's just that the turns are 90-degree turns. You can have a 90-degree turn, but you can have several other 90 degree turns that are totally entirely different with how bumpy it is on on the run-in the camber the lines the grip levels the surface change so a whole track made up of 90 degree turns might not necessarily be a bad track for racing if it's wide enough on the entry and exit you'll have a senna a lacy i think it was 1990 um i can't remember the the grand prix exactly it was one of the american ones it was phoenix it was Phoenix, yeah, where they're side by side. And the cars at the time, with their lack of downforce, they could follow each other um, on a street circuit, bumpy, allowed for some fantastic wheel-to-wheel racing. So they can be good. They just need to be wide enough. And we just don't go to tracks for modern F1 cars mm-hmm. that are wide enough to achieve that. Mm. Okay. And I I guess my, my final question on this would be, how much does the surface make a difference? Because street tracks are just normal tarmac Whereas, whereas a, a racetrack is designed, a lot of the time it's designed for maximum grip, which is it's kind it's kind of odd, I guess, because they want grippy circuits for club racing as well. And if you turn up in your Peugeot two hundred six Challenge Cup car, you want a grippy circuit. But when we get to Formula One, where they've got maximum grip, maximum downforce, and they go to these tracks that have been designed because they're commercial working tracks that need to attract series, you suddenly have maximum grip cat man and it, and it doesn't generate the excitement that we necessarily as spectators want you go to somewhere like turkey where they had you know all that oil on the surface and the turkish grand prix was a lot of fun i really really enjoyed that uh not for not just for the obvious reasons yeah and it, i guess it really depends on on where the circuit focuses their financial year if you if you pin your hopes purely on the ticket venue take the ticket revenue that the F1 race will bring into, then yeah, you you do whatever F1 wants you to do. Whereas if you're like a Mallory Park or say Kyle's favorite Laguna Seca, um, you're going to <laughs> do it as uh, as whatever gives you the most income, which f- for those guys may be the slightly lower formulas and the grippier circuits. So uh, uh, Brendan Bush just makes this comment. I honestly think some of the hate for street circuits is unwarranted. Singapore is one of my favorite races of the year. I... <sighs> I can see why that's come across hate for street circuits. I there's a little bit of uh, 
you know, dramatic license there as well. It just so happens that I don't enjoy the racing on the races that happen to be street circuits. Monaco is a particular issue because it's just very small. Um, but what I really don't like about the Singapore Grand Prix is that, and, and the Monaco Grand Prix, is we see anti-racing tactics in those Grand Prix where people can just park it lap after lap and it is beneficial to go three or four seconds a lap slower to make a tyre strategy work. And and to me, that that's not the racing I want to see. And at Monaco, you had Daniel Ricciardo massively down on power, able to win an F1 Grand Prix. F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. He was able to win it significantly down on power by just parking it on the apexes. For me, that's not the racing experience I want. So I've mostly stayed out of this. But first of all, defending is a thing especially in Formula One. Yeah, I agree. A skill. Yeah, man. It is definitely a skill. Second of all, you're complaining about the tires and running slower. That really has nothing to do with street circuits per se. That's got to do with other structural issues about how Formula One tracks are put together. It only happens at street circuits. Had. It only happens at street circuits. That particular scenario where you can just run four seconds a lap slower. That happens at Monaco, Singapore. It happens at all Formula One circuits. Because because the least number of pit stops is always the best strategy. I don't think it happens to the same extent. Is, well, that, is in, that fair? We're quibbling about exponents and not about anything else. Okay, so like, I don't it, think you, you just see it more at street circuits because it's more obvious. So, but it oh, happens. Okay, all good. So you agree it's much more obvious and pronounced at street circuits. Excellent. Good. That's the that's pretty much the only point I was making. So that was it. That was a good mix of topics today. We covered logistics and freight. Finally. My goodness, I cannot tell you. I've been so excited about it. I can't tell you the amount of emails we've had. Um, In fact, we've got some new fancy emails, so I'll just give them to you. If you want to get in contact contact with us, you can do matt at mistapex.net. So we've got some uh, mistapex.net email addresses from Toma and Marika, and we will put links to their web service. These are patrons who heard that we were looking for these kind of uh, these kind of email domain email addresses they can be very expensive and they just piped up and said hey guys we're an email provider can we just give you a bunch of of domain emails and i i, I couldn't believe it i was blown away and they gave us like a full day of their time setting it all up so i could not be more grateful we, we will have a link to their website to dutch server um, if you want to go and use their services for domain emails and more. Uh, so matt at mistapex.net, spanners at mistapex.net, um, or you can get in contact with us on Twitter. Uh, my uh, Twitter account is at spannersready. Matt is at mattpt55. The show is at mistapexf1. Our DMs are open. Catman, are your DMs open? Can I slide into your DMs? If I was about 10 years younger and really cool, then yeah, you probably could. Yep, I'm CatmanF1 on the Twitters. And Kyle is at KylePowerF1. How have you found your Twitter experience? Because we've bullied you onto going onto Twitter, haven't we? It's been a wonderful unicorn, a rainbow field experience. Mm-hmm, it's been a mm-hmm. journey of discovery every single day, and I love it with all of my heart. I, I told you. I told you. But if you, if you <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm, yeah, I need to get more proactive on there. I keep trying to, but yeah, go give me a follow and I might occasionally post something. Uh, and of course, we all, we all as, a, as a crew, we hang out in the Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash mistapex. Uh, certain tiers get invited uh, to join us there. It's always cool. And you can come hang out with us if you're an iRacer. Uh, we do, we swarm on Mondays and Wednesdays 
on the F3 officials. And we've got the Missed Apex series coming up as well. Look out for that broadcast on Missed Apex Motorsport YouTube channel. That is live from 8 p.m. You can watch that uh, for, uh, with Catman and Chris Stevens as our commentators. And me, Matt, Kyle, Brad, um, and uh, who else is competing from Oslo? Is that Alex Van Jean Alex, as well? Yeah. Uh, and a grid of 57 F3 cars at Spa Francorchamps. Is it 58 now? Oh, my goodness. That is definitely yes. going to be carnage. So uh, come tune into that. We'll give a, a link to that YouTube channel as well in the show notes as well. Thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a really enjoyable preseason uh, and postseason. I actually can't believe how fast the time has gone and I, I people are going to sit there and think he doesn't even know that he's got to do Comment of the week. and as far as you know no one held up a handwritten note to their webcam to remind me so matt <laughs> thanks carl who are the nominations for comment of the week matt all right so i'm looking here and i'm going to start with mr aj scotty discussing the haas livery Goes with, I like the new F1 team, Hazki. Okay. And along the same line, Sam Levine says, Trumpets thinks we've been hard with two A's. Puns, come on, move on. What, what kind of show do you think we're running here? Uh, I think we're running a, the kind of show that's about to get us into lots of spousal trouble. As Christopher Fonseca suggests to Catman regarding his McLaren merchandise clash, Zach Brown suggests you get a new wife. There we go, Catman. We can solve all your fashion problems. If you get a new wife, you can get Mercedes merch. Uh, sorry, McLaren merch. Trumpets. And let it never be said that we do not care about all of our panelists. Stuart Neal suggests that Brad needs to go to the doctor if he is indeed itching. And this would be sort of, I think, yes. Oh, in, in reference to the quiz. I... Yeah, I don't like how competitive everything gets with Missed Apex. The quiz used to be a nice kind of just an end of show segment. Now it's a way to just crush and humiliate, well, me, Matt and Alex. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but still, I'm looking forward to it. We'll definitely get a quiz going soon, Matt. You might wonder how shipping could possibly generate anything funny. And yet Cosmos 2017 goes change to Amazon shipping over $25, two days. Nice value. Indeed. And um, finally, we will end with Darren Johnson going, guys, the cars are aero generators regarding the aero generator corners. Could I just have an honorable mention on the shipping comments for comment of the week? And it was Carl Ozzis, sorry, 44. Sorry, I forgot your name wrong. And he said, I freight shipping talk. Oh, my God. Matt, <laughs> give us a winner. This is This is torture. Right. Well, I'm going to have to go with I freight shipping talk because you frankly do. Comment of the week. <laughs> I will happily admit there was some interesting stuff in the freight and shipping talk, Matt. Just, just not for 90% of it. I'll take the 10% you did like. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us at Missed Apex Podcast. For anything we've mentioned in the show, just check the show notes in YouTube or your podcatcher of choice. Do make sure you subscribe and share and like and do all the things that YouTubers and podcasters ask you to do. You're the reason that we have any kind of reach at all within the F1 media space. We are going to do our best to give you great content throughout the start of the season. We've got Matthew Carter jumping on a show uh, on the 20th. 
I think, uh, just in ooh, 13 days' time. Uh, we're going to have Joe Saywood coming in uh, sometime around testing as well. Matthew Summerfield is going to come and do a tech time with Matt Trumpets too. And we're going to do a full testing review. And I cannot wait for our first race review of 2021. Wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. We survived. We did it, Matt. We did another show. It's the last show that we're going to do without cars having been on track. We've done it. We've done another off-season. We always, The season ends, and we go, yeah, we got through a season. It's wicked. That was brilliant. And then we go, <gasps> okay, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. Another off-season. Yeah. It, 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 it's amazing how rapidly it turns over. But I got to say, I love it. Yeah, because off season is so much fun because we get to play. But I cannot wait to see the cars on track. And just enough for those of you still here, I believe we're going to have daily coverage of testing on the website by our new team of writers we've adopted. There we go. And I have to say, shout out to the team as well. We've had no shortage of volunteers for off season content because we've just had freedom to grow and breathe. So, so you know, we, we you know we get thanks to Catman and Kyle and Alex and and Brad and 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 such like who've been coming on the show and Christian who's been very quickly becoming a, a strong part of the Miss Apex panel as well uh, just imagine if this was a podcast where it was just oh yeah Chris you know Chris Chris Youngen the non-exotic Chris Youngen always using young people phrases and stuff and like oh no oh the pandemic's bad because I can't go on a on a date yeah try being old that's just what being old is like it's fine like you know anyway Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.